Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that, his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that He may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive Him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as He promised long ago through His holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Good morning, I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church. And I'm, I am sad we are not together in person, but I thank God for the technology that he has given us to stay connected and to I look forward to the day when we can worship together. And I'll be honest, I don't like preaching to an almost empty room, but I, I do like the uh, Zoom 
that you guys are on. So you're going to wave 30 seconds later to me. But uh, yeah, so I'm thankful to, to preach God's word this morning. And uh, when 2020 started, we began this two-year church-wide Bible reading plan. And we, we made a decision that we were going to look at the whole of Scripture over two years. And we were going to preach sermons that start with the beginning of the Bible and end with the end. And probably over about 12 years here at Waypoint, we'll cover almost the entire Bible through our sermon series, rotating back and forth between New Testament and Old Testament. But we started this sermon series in the Pentateuch in January. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament, sometimes called the Torah or the Law of Moses. And now, 23 weeks later, we're on our last sermon on the Pentateuch, and a lot has happened in these 23 weeks. A lot has happened in 2020. There are literally memes that show like a train falling off a cliff and the train is like 2020 and then March the cliff or the bridge breaking is March of 2020 when just things with COVID and quarantine started and people just, things, things started falling apart. And we've gone through waves of emotion. Some of the words that I've heard as I've talked to some of you, have the emotions and that people have been feeling literally have gone through these waves and it's fear and frustration and anger and confusion and sadness and loneliness and anxiety are just just some of the words that we've heard and some of the emotions that have been expressed. Then over the last month, long-standing issues of racial, racial inequity and injustice have come to the forefront and long overdue conversations are starting to happen. But as they happen, we are becoming more and more aware of the injustice and unfortunately, more and more aware of the divide in our country on what the real issues are and how to move forward. Next week, we will start a sermon series studying and meditating on the book of James. James will bring up important biblical themes that force us to continue this dialogue as we strive to be a local church, a local church body that is made up of people who continually desire to pursue Christ-like justice. But... Indirectly dealing with these issues and even the tensions that they might bring, you know, these things have always been part of us as Waypoint. We've always directly wanted to deal with these, these issues of injustice and inequity. But we want to think of this as a marathon. And uh, although at times we need to increase our pace, and maybe that time is now, um, but this isn't a sprint. We want to be in this for the long haul. We don't want to just just get real excited for a couple months and then forget about it. We, we want to be thinking about this for a long time because it affects us, who we are as a body of Christ in this community. So we want you to join us in that marathon and, and be patient with us and be patient with each other as, as we talk to God and go before him and, and look at these issues and work them out as a local body. We want to be part of bringing Christ-like justice to our community. And as long as we exist as a local church, you know, we'll, we'll continue to do this. And I'm going to come back to this theme during our prayer time at the end of the service, at the end of the sermon. So, um, and we're going to reflect on the teachings of Jesus, and maybe that'll help us as we, as we process some of this. Let me pray to start our time this morning. God, it's with a heavy heart that I come, and we're excited that we've been learning your word in Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy and, and just the conclusion to the, this amazing word. There were some confusing parts along the way, God, but you've used studying the Pentateuch to teach us. Teach us this morning through your word as we look 
at Deuteronomy, and then we look to Jesus. And uh, just be with me as I proclaim and just pronounce the truth written in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are. We've studied and poured over Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And now for the last sermon in the series, I have a passage from Acts 3 read. Just after the birth of the church, when a crippled beggar, uh, he's been crippled since birth, is saved and he's healed in the name of Jesus. And I know many of you right now are asking yourselves a few questions in your head. The first one is, why do we read Acts 3 and not something from Deuteronomy? And you might still be asking, after five months in the Pentateuch, you know, how does all this stuff in the Old Testament and in the Pentateuch relate to me as a Christian today, especially in light of what's going on right now? And then you might be asking, who was the British guy who just read the Bible passage, and does he go to Waypoint? Because you might want to meet him. He's got a pretty cool voice. And, and then finally, you might be asking, why, is, why did Danny shave his beard again for the last sermon on Moses, the last time I might preach on Moses for a long time? And if you remember um, that, if you look up there, you can see the, the photo. This is, this is last time I preached on Moses, I showed this picture from the Ten Commandments, and uh, Pharaoh is clean shaven, but Moses looks really cool. So it would have been better for me to be Pharaoh, but if you, but you know, I'm Moses. So who was this British guy? I'm not Moses. I'm not Pharaoh. I'm I'm Danny. But who was this British guy that was singing with us? I mean, that was not singing, but that was reading the scripture. And that's actually an MP3 series. His name is Max McLean, and I listened to his uh, the NIV on MP3, and I put it in my phone. And I'm not the best at memorizing, and I'm not the best at discipline and Bible reading, even though I'm a pastor and I read the Bible every day. And having the Bible on audio has been a life changer. I've been doing it for about 10 years now. So I just wanted to play that this morning and challenge all of you, if, if, if this is something that you feel like would help you in your Bible discipline, put the Bible on audio and, and listen to it throughout the day. Listen to it on walks or when you're doing things or, or when you're driving in the car. I, pr- I promise you that... It's really helped me, and, and it may help many of us out there as, as we continue to want to read God's Word every day. Um, and then, finally, I just want to put this picture up there. So, after the Moses sermon, um, my daughter came home and made a better picture for, for all of us, and some of you have already seen it, but... So, there it is. So, there's me with the beard and without. So, Danny, Danny Moses and Danny Farrow. So... On a more serious note, uh, I want to, all jokes aside, I want to I really address why did I have Acts 3 read this morning, and, and how do we end the Pentateuch? How do we land the plane that we've, you know, been on this journey for a long time, and how do we move, move on to more parts of the Bible and reflect on what we've learned? And the reason why I read Acts 3 and not something from Deuteronomy is because I believe, and the historic Christian teaching is the entire New Testament and the Pentateuch and Deuteronomy is about the good news. It's about the gospel. It is the gospel. It's, it's the preparation, the foundations of the gospel. Um, and reading Luke and Acts while we've been reading the Pentateuch was not a, a random coincidence. We did that intentionally. And we wanted uh, all of us who are doing the Bible reading plan to read the birth of the church as we were looking at the birth of the Israelite nation and, and seeing how God worked in both times in history. 
uh, God's plan to save and redeem his people and to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus Christ is the good news. And it starts being proclaimed right at the beginning of the Pentateuch. It's, it's there at the beginning and it's there throughout and it's, and it's throughout the Old Testament. And it's, it's still alive today. And it's, it was good news for them and it's good news for us. Uh, this is the good news of Jesus. This passage in Acts 3 is just after Pentecost at the birth of the church. And Peter and John ex- begin to explain how the good news of Jesus was announced and is a fulfillment of what was promised in the Pentateuch and the rest of scriptures. Quickly, you know, we've already heard it this morning, but I want to go over it. Just, you know, it starts off by Peter saying, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And in the name of Jesus, the man is healed. This is the good news. This is what they were anticipating way back when, that, that when God's good news finally came, those who were crippled would walk. And sometimes it's physical healing, but all the time it's spiritual healing. And the man is jumping and praising God. And then when it says in verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why are you surprised? And then he goes through and, and really just goes back through the Old Testament and the promise of the Messiah. And he, he, in verse 22, he says, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. This is a direct quote from Deuteronomy. And then he goes on and quotes Genesis in verse 25. And he says, And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. So you see, as part of sharing the gospel, the good news, John and Peter and the early apostles have to share the story going back to the Pentateuch, because that's the good news. It's this long story of God's redemptive plan that is fulfilled in Jesus. And we're a part of that today. And it it is good news. So when Peter and John proclaim this good news of Jesus, they're pointing back to God's covenant faithfulness to Abraham and Moses. And they show how Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. And when they heal someone in Jesus' name, It's not their own power that healed him. It's not anything special about them. They're just common people. They heal him in Jesus' name because this is the fulfillment of everything that's been promised. And in the name of Jesus, there is healing and there is new life. Now, I understand at this point, many of you might still be asking yourselves, okay, I get how the Old Testament might have helped Jewish people in the first century understand Jesus better and understand who Jesus is. But... How does all the stuff in the Old Testament and the Pentateuch relate to me as a Christian today? And this is kind of where we're going to spend most of our time this morning and look at two things in Deuteronomy. But Old Testament professor Scott Red says that one way to think about it is that the Old Testament is like the blueprint and the New Testament is the actual building. And we are living and we are walking and we are enjoying the building right now. We get to enjoy it. But eventually... We, or some people, need to understand the blueprints of the building. You can live and enjoy the building for a long time, but you need to understand the blueprints of the building to continue to enjoy the benefits of the building. And as sometimes I think we forget that the foundation of the gospel and the the thrust of the gospel is, is from Genesis to Revelation. And it's okay to spend more time in Colossians. It's okay to spend more time in Philippians 
Uh, it's okay to spend more time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's okay. But we, we want us to know the foundation that got us here. So when we read Matthew and Philippians and Ephesians, we, we understand what Paul's talking about or what John is talking about or what Matthew and Mark are talking about and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all this because their story many times is our story, even though sometimes it's two, three, 3,500 years removed from us. Uh, so this morning, you guys know I, I'm a, I have a teacher's heart. I'm a teacher at heart. I'm going to use the word heart a lot, lot today. Uh, it's used a lot in the English language, but I'm, I'm a teacher at heart. So we're going to have a brief Old Testament survey class today and look at the blueprints of the church. So class is now in session. That's more of a gavel of a judge, but class is in session. It's hard to do jokes when there's like three people in the audience. Now my, my, the people running the sound are finally laughing at me. But uh, yeah, so class is in session. Lesson one, the Old Testament can be considered a book, part of a book, and a collection of books. It's the story of a loving and faithful God and his plans to save rebellious people. So I thought there was many summaries of the Old Testament, but I thought this is the best concise summary. Lesson two, let's look at the big picture of the, of the Bible. And this is from uh, a book by Vaughn Roberts called The Big Picture. And uh, I don't know how big it is on your screen if you can read it, but if you look, it, Roberts divides the Old Testament into five patterns. The pattern of the kingdom, Eden, this is Genesis 1 and 2. The parish kingdom, this is Genesis 3 through Genesis 11. And this is when things went bad. The kingdom perished. The promised kingdom, and this is from Genesis 12 through the end of Deuteronomy. And this is the promised kingdom, that, the covenant that God makes with Abraham and his family is finally fulfilled as, as Moses leads the, people, leads the people to the edge of the promised land. And then the partial kingdom, Josh brings them in. Joshua brings them in, and it ends with Solomon because the kingdom gets divided and the kings are corrupt and the priests become corrupt, and the prophesied kingdom. This is the period where the kings and the priests generally fail. They fail a lot, but this is the time where the prophets withhold the covenant and point people back to the covenant over and over and over again. And the prophets ultimately point to the Messiah who will be the perfect priest, the perfect king, and we find out the perfect prophet. Then we get into the New Testament and the present kingdom. Jesus inaugurates it. When he's baptized, he's, you know, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the proclaimed kingdom from Pentecost till now. We're part of that. We're part of this proclaimed kingdom and we're proclaiming this kingdom. The good news is the proclamation of the kingdom of Jesus. And then the perfect kingdom, when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. So again, as the teacher and me wants you to see the pattern. But if you notice, the Pentateuch is basically one, is the first three. All this happens, thousands of years of history, but it's, it's showing us this promised kingdom that ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus. So let's review the, the Pentateuch. This is a cool diagram from uh, John Walton and Andrew Hill's book, Old Testament Today. Genesis is the promise. Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers teach us about the presence, the holiness, and the testing. And Deuteronomy is a renewal of the promise and the pres presence and the holiness and the testing. It's reminding us, reminding that generation. Um, let's recap each book. Um, Genesis, the creator God, 
is faithful to his covenant promises and redeems humanity through the promise line despite their sin and rebellion. And this is from uh, scholar Salugi Bune, I guess is how you'd say his name. And The purpose of Exodus, and then going into Exodus, the purpose of Exodus is to explain how God's presence came to dwell among his chosen people, Israel. Exodus tells us tells how, God's pow- pow- how God powerfully rescued a people from slavery and made them into a new nation in a covenant relationship with himself and taught them to worship him. Now, I want to show three photos that will help us understand Exodus and Leviticus a little better. We've already seen one of these in a past sermon. The first one is Egyptian cosmology and their gods. The picture that you're seeing the older looking picture is an actual picture that was on the side of a wall in ancient Egypt. Um, and it's, it just shows they had this complex system of gods that they feared. And the picture on the other side is, is a modern artist's rendering of what, how they would have thought of the gods. And they had fear about chaos and rain. And they thought the image of God was only the emperor. And then his son would become the image of God. So this is the cosmology. Just to, it's this complex system of gods, angry, angry gods and working toward the God's favor and that, that the people had lived in for 400 years. So this influenced who they were. Now look at the next picture. This is what God tells them to do. This is all they need. They don't need complex pictures and, and, and all these different gods. They just need this simple place to come and his presence will dwell with them. He tells them that they're the image of God, man and woman, all of them. And they can come to God and be in his presence and he will go before them, before them. Can you imagine the scene in the desert like this with a cloud of fire over it and a smoking pillar of fire that follows them wherever they go and you can just see the presence of God. They didn't need pictures on a wall in, you know, in Egyptian temples. They had the presence of God with them. And then if you look at the next picture, this just shows how the Israelites might have viewed the cosmos. You see below that God has conquered the scary things. He's conquered the sea and chaos and the the beast, the dragon. And they live with him. And the model of the tabernacle that's in the middle where they live, that's a reflection of the temple in heaven. So you see, this this is kind of what Moses is telling them, how they're, what God is like, that they're, Religion is different because this is what God is like. He's not a series of complex gods that get angry and you have to worship them. He is the one true God and what they see on earth reflects what, what exists in heaven. Moving on to Leviticus, the purpose of Leviticus is to detail the management of sacred spaces, the tabernacle, sacred status as God's people, and sacred time, the festivals. Another explanation or You know, kind of summary of Leviticus says the holy God makes his people holy, calls them to be holy and provides atonement through blood when they are not. You can see how Leviticus points us to Jesus and the atonement that we have in Christ. The purpose of numbers is to contrast the faithfulness of God with the faithfulness and rebellion, faithlessness and rebellion of the Israelites. Another summary says the purpose of numbers, sorry, God saved us. And as we travel through the wilderness of the world, we need to go on exercising faith to enter the inheritance Christ has secured for us. This is another way to to think about Leviticus. I'm sorry, Numbers, the book of Numbers. And then 
to Deuteronomy. The purpose of Deuteronomy is to summarize and renew the covenant in preparation for Israel's entrance into the land. Bible teacher Nancy Guthrie says that Deuteronomy is like parents dropping their children off at college, like dropping a child off at college. It's the final speech, the final encouragement with some warnings and reminders of everything that they have been taught before they move on to this next stage of life. So that Deuteronomy literally is the, the, the Greek word for second, second presentation of the law, like reminding the second generation of what was promised before. Moses sends them off with this, like a parent would send their, student, their child off. And then the final definition for Deuteronomy, not definition, but a summary, is by Christopher J.H. Wright. And I, I think that's a really cool name. I need a cool British name like J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, and I need a cool British accent. So maybe you guys could come up with me. I could be like D.H.J. Castleman or something, you know. So I need a cooler British name. Than, I don't even have a middle name. Long story, if you ever want to take me out to lunch, I'll explain why I don't have a middle name. But uh, Christopher J.H. Wright, a Bible scholar, Old Testament scholar, says this about Deuteronomy. Summarizing Deuteronomy. God's people are called to respond to God's salvation with love and loyalty, worshiping the one true God in the midst of surrounding cultural idolatries and living in the midst of nations as a community shaped at every level of life by God's character of grace, justice, purity, compassion, and generosity. Amen. Wow, that is good stuff. That's what Deuteronomy is about. I mean, some of you might get bogged down in some of the laws, but if, that's, that's the summary of Deuteronomy. That could be a mission statement for a church today, right? We, as God's people at Waypoint Church, are called to respond to God's salvation with love and loyalty, worshiping the one true God in the midst of surrounding cultural idolatries and living in the midst of, na- of the nations as a community shaped at every level of life by God's character of grace, justice, purity, compassion, and generosity. Deuteronomy is an amazing book. I know there's some parts of it that get confusing and get us sidetracked, but let's not forget the goal. This is the good news. So we've looked at Deuteronomy and for the past, a couple of the, we've looked at the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy and some of the other commands in in, uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and as we've gone through this series. But for today, I want you to remember two things about Deuteronomy. These aren't the only two things. There's, Deuteronomy has all the things mentioned in this description by Professor Wright. But I want us to think of two things this morning. One, Jesus is the promised and final prophet. And two, the new covenant is written on your heart. For number one, Jesus is the promised and final prophet. Deuteronomy 18.15 proclaims, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. The prophetic ministry starts with Moses and Miriam. Deuteronomy 18, 14 to 22 gives the framework for the future role of the prophet in the nation they are establishing. This line of prophets includes Joshua, Deborah, Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Malachi, and and others. And there's a gap from Malachi to John the Baptist, like a 400-year gap. And then Jesus comes. Jesus is the final and perfect prophet. Remember, Jesus starts his ministry with a proclamation and a baptism by John the Baptist. The last in this Old Testament line of prophets. And then Jesus goes directly into the wilderness for 40 days. 
and he's tempted by Satan, but he stands firm. And during those 40 days, there are only three statements of Jesus recorded in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And each time Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, he quotes the word of God. So Jesus is greater than Moses in every way. This is clearly explained in the book of Hebrews and throughout the New Testament. And in this Acts 3 account that we read earlier, where Peter and John are showing that Jesus, it, that Jesus is the prophet that Moses was longing for, that he proclaimed. And they actually quote Deuteronomy 18.15 to, to show this. And in the name of this prophet, in the name of Jesus, a man paralyzed from birth gets up and walks. Amen. So why is this important? The prophets were God's chosen people who kept the sinful, rebellious, fragile kingdoms focused on God and the promises of the covenant. I'm going to put up a really cool diagram from the Bible Project. This is a screenshot from one of their videos. And it talks about that Israel's leaders, the elders, the priests, and the kings, couldn't just do whatever they wanted. They were under the authority of the law, which God gave to Moses, and they were under the authority of the prophets. The prophets were the ones who, who remembered the covenant and continually challenged, the, particularly the priests and the kings, to turn back. Turn back. And if you know the history, the parish kingdom that I showed in that earlier one, they fail over and over again. And the prophets are the only people who really are the ones who continually say, pointing people to Christ and pointing people to that you have to follow God and the people's rebellious hearts continue to turn against God over and over again. And finally, God, what's told in Deuteronomy is when they don't obey, God will allow other nations to take over their land. And this, this happens. And I want you to remember that Jesus enter, enters Jerusalem three times during his final week. He enters at Palm Sunday, but then he leaves and he comes back. And one of the ways, and each time he enters, many Bible scholars believe that he's showing how he's fulfilling different parts of the Old Testament. And one time he enters as the king. And one time he enters as the priest. And one time he enters as the prophet. So Jesus becomes the prophet we need, the priest that we need, and the king that we need. But in the Acts 3 account, John and Peter are really showing that he is the prophet and that they must listen to him. Yet at the same time, there's healing in his name, which who is in charge of healing? The priest. So he, Jesus, they're already showing that Jesus fulfills these two roles. God's faithfulness prevails through all the sin and brokenness, and he's making all things new, and he's, he's making broken people new, and that's the good news. And that's the, the system that was created failed, but the church will not fail because of the new covenant. The law of Moses, the covenant to Moses was temporary because it was superseded by a, by a better covenant. And that's the, th the, the thing I want us to look at, the second thing I want us to look at in Deuteronomy this morning. The new covenant is written on our hearts. So real quickly, just look at the seven major covenants of the Old Testament. I'm going to put them up on the screen. And the first covenant God makes with Adam and Eve, the covenant of works. Then there's the covenant of grace after Adam and Eve fail. Then there's the covenant God makes with Noah. 
I'll never destroy the earth again. And your, your offspring will be, you know, it's almost the same covenant he makes with Adam. Then he makes a specific covenant with Abraham that through you and your descendants, I will bless all nations. I will save the people. I will, I, the good news starts in all these covenants, but this, there's a specific covenant to Abraham that a light for all the nations. Then he makes a very targeted, focused covenant with Moses of how they are to be a people. Then he makes a covenant with David on what this future king will look like. And then finally, there's the new covenant or the renewed covenant. And this, you can see this in Isaiah and Jeremiah 31. And we're going to look at that uh, in a second in Ezekiel. And, and then again in Matthew and Hebrews, it's, it's, it's shown how, what this new covenant and how we're living in that. But I want to focus on two passages, Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 30, because this is the beginning of the promise of the new covenant. It's already there in the midst of Moses' covenant. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6 proclaims, Hear, O Israel, and this is sometimes called the Shema, because the word Shema is the Hebrew word for hear, hear, Shema. So actually every Jewish person would say this, would repeat this as part of just their culture, part of their religion all the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But here's where the covenant starts. The new covenant starts here. It says, these commands I have given you today are to be on your hearts. Well, how can the law of Moses be on their hearts? And then in Deuteronomy 36, he says, talking about the future day after they failed over and over and over again. He says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. And then the prophet Jeremiah, the one who saw foreign armies invade and destroy Jerusalem, the very thing that the goal of of the promised land and, and all of Moses was to get to Jerusalem to build this permanent temple. And then Jeremiah sees God allows foreign armies to come and destroy the city because of their sin. And this is what Jeremiah says. He says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. These are the two kingdoms that got divided. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. He's referring back to Exodus. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And then in Ezekiel 36, another prophet after the time when the kings have failed over and over again and God's allowing these foreign armies to invade, Ezekiel proclaims this, for I will gather up from all the nations and bring you home back to your home again to your land. This is talking about bringing them back from exile, but he's not just talking about them specifically. He's talking about us too. And he says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, 
responsive heart. And actually, John, Jesus' dialogue in John 3 with Nicodemus, where he says, what about being born again and being born of water and spirit? Jesus is referring to this passage. Nicodemus shouldn't have known this. We get a new heart in Jesus, and we get the spirit. You see how the good news starts in Deuteronomy? It starts in Genesis, and we see it in Deuteronomy, and we see it in the prophets, and then it comes true in Jesus, and even comes true at Pentecost when the spirit is poured out. So I have three action steps for this week. As we think about, you know, Deuteronomy and and what God wants us to hear, thinking in terms of Jesus is this final prophet, we must listen to him, and that there's a new covenant in our hearts. God has written his law on our hearts. So three action steps for this week. One, take some time to review and reflect on what God taught you as we studied the Pentateuch. And I have a specific challenge for you. I know a lot of people are binge watching now because you can't really go out at night. There's no restaurants. Restaurants are generally not open. There's no activities, no D-pack, no movies. So we're binge watching. I want you to binge watch the Bible Project. Watch five seven-minute videos. Watch the video for Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Watch them all in a row. Just refresh your mind of all we've learned They're they're excellent summaries. Refresh your mind of all we've learned of these promises in the Pentateuch. And then ask questions. Myself, Eric, and Lawrence, and and other staff, and elders, and even your your small group leaders, we may not have all the answers, but we want to struggle and study this stuff together. We have to know God's Word, and Part of that is us asking questions to each other and, and, and hashing it out and saying, what does this mean? Literally, one of our sisters emailed Erica yesterday and asked a question about Leviticus. Because she, she, she didn't want to just assume. She wanted to talk about it and say, well, this, this, this thing frustrates me. I want to know, is there something different than what I'm seeing? So that's the first step, is take time to reflect and, and really ask God, to, what, what have you learned over these past five months? The second thing, and this is more about how I introduced this time this morning in light of our current reality. But it's also in light of what's going on in this passage. I want us to stop and pray about everything you are consuming. The past three months have been extremely difficult for me as I've read article after article and countless social media posts about COVID and what we should or shouldn't be doing. Um, And then with the murders of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and the protests and riots and, and the dialogue and the conversation that has followed that and just just everything that's been happening in our country my heart is so heavy yet with each article I read or each post I read or each video I watch my emotions overwhelm me and I'm an information person I I read a lot I love I read probably four or five newspapers a week just to gather information part of it is because as a pastor in my job at campus but on campus but I like information, but this is just too much. And instead of thinking about the issues in light of the kingdom of God, I find myself reading the arguments and random opinions and filling my mind with the noise. And no matter what your opinion is on any given topic, you can literally find hundreds or even thousands of posts and videos that affirm what you already think. And as follower of Jesus, there has to be another way because our main thrust shouldn't be like all these videos filling our minds and influencing our opinions, but we, first and foremost, we should say, how does this line up with the kingdom of God and who Jesus has called me to be 
And, and what is my role in, in being a citizen of heaven while I'm a citizen of earth, while I'm a, on this earth? So I shared this at our elders meeting yesterday. I shared my heart and just, I know Eric's been struggling and Lawrence too, and we're just a lot of the staff have just been struggling with this. And as elders yesterday, we just stopped and prayed. And, and one of the things they challenged me, and I challenge you on this, is let's be a people who stop and pray. What if we spent as much time praying as we did consuming? What, what could God do in our hearts? I mean, we got to consume some because we got to find the facts. But I think sometimes we're, we're just consuming and consuming and consuming and we're not stopping to pray and say, God, what do I need to do with this? What are you calling me to do? And what is true in light of the gospel in your kingdom? Tuesday night, there's going to be an online prayer gathering where people are just going to pray about what's going on in the world. Join that prayer gathering if you, if you want to be part of the conversation. But be part of the conversation in prayer, not just in you know, rants online or in stressed out about reading rants, but you're not even actually typing. You're not engaging. You're just stressed out as you read the rants and the, and the, and the, the tension. So as we stop and pray, but we also need to be people who check our hearts. And this is my final exhortation for this morning. And what's interesting is if you look back at my, a lot of my sermons, I say this a lot. This is normally the action point about 50% of the time. Pray and check your heart. So my third thing is continually check your heart. We are new covenant people through Jesus. God has sprinkled clean water on us and given us a new heart. He's put a new spirit in us. He took out our stony, stubborn heart, and he's given us a tender, responsive heart. We are born again in Jesus, so love God and love your neighbor. Let's look to Jesus and follow him as we process. What is our posture as we, what, what would it look like to check our hearts? And I'm, the last thing I want to do this morning is just take us to the actual teaching of Jesus. This is what I believe that the law of Jesus is, is to check your heart. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So do you really, and poor in spirit literally means blessed are those who know that they need God, that they can't rely on themselves. But it also even has an element of those who are poor, who have no money. So this is saying that the blessed person isn't hashtag blessed, you know, I got a new car. The blessed person is the person who realizes their need for God. And the person who is poor. And struggling and, and God is, you know, theirs is the kingdom of heaven because unless you realize that you absolutely need God, even if you have a lot of stuff and you're blessed, you know, you, you, we need God. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Right now, a lot of people are mourning and God sees you in that mourning. Jesus knows that mourning. Blessed are the meek. Some translations translate this as humble for they will inherit the earth. Are you humble in this whole process? Am I humble? When you read that thing and you're rageful on, about your side or their side or this opinion, are you humble? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And some translations translate this as justice. And I know right now in our present context, what is right? Some people, that's part of what the tension is. I think this is right. I think that is right. But our, I would challenge you to go to the word and, and, and really listen to the voices that are, other brothers and sisters are saying. And then go to the word and say, God, what would it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice? Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think this is probably the biggest one right now we need. 
we've been given so much mercy by God. Can we give mercy to others? Why is it always so black and white? Like, look, look at this, look at that. They did this, they did that. Are we, God's shown us so much mercy. Can we show mercy to others? Can that be our posture? Blessed are the pure at heart. Is your heart pure as you're entering into these conversations or you're just consuming them? That we can be, let's ask God, what would it mean for our hearts to be pure? And they're never going to be fully pure. We're sinful, broken people, but we can pursue this because this is what it means to be part of Jesus' kingdom. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. During all this, don't let somebody be called... I would rather be known as a peacemaker through this process. Someone who's pursuing mercy, who's pursuing peace, who's humbly entering the conversation. There's no right answer on some of these things. It's going to take, what if Christians, what if we were the ones who led the way by following Jesus and entered into the conversation like Jesus would? Finally, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right. Do right. But again, it's... all these doing right means being humble and merciful and seeking justice. That's what I have for you guys. Deuteronomy teaches us that we are a covenant people and now we're in a new covenant and that's going to lead us into the Lord's Supper, which we're going to partake in this morning. And we come to the time of worship where we do communion. And if we were here, we would do it together We're going to do it online, so if you can please prepare your bread and your juice. And I'm going to read from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus fulfills all the requirements of the law and allows us to have all the blessings and benefits of the covenant. Amen. We partake in this meal to remember what Jesus has done for us. But before we do that, let's check our hearts. In your homes right now, I know some of you have kids and they're running around and they're probably like, wow, this guy's talked a long time. But in your home, just check your hearts for 20 seconds. Just ask God, what what do you need to do to, to begin to live out the promises of the kingdom? Jesus has saved you. He's given you his grace. He's given you his mercy. And we can, he's given us his spirit. We can do this. Ask God, God, what do I need to check my heart with right now? Now I want you to take the bread and eat it. And remember that this is the body of Christ broken for you. Now take the cup and drink it. And remember, this is the blood of Christ shed for you.
Let's pray. Father, most of us have heavy hearts. There's just so much going on in our world. And you're not shocked by this. You've given us all the tools we need. You've given us the body. You've given us everything we need to live for you, even when we have COVID and quarantine and, and just disagreements and, and protests and people struggling with inequity and all these things, God, that are going on in our world. God, we remember that there's a new covenant in your blood and that you've given us everything we need. God, I pray that we all go this week and live as new covenant people, people saved by the blood of Jesus and risen to new life with Christ and filled with his spirit. God, go before us and use us. And may in all things, God, we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.